Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the pod. It's like the good old days, Dane. We're recording at like 8 p.m. at night. Usually we've been recording during the day these days, so there's no reason to do it at night. But uh, good good to be back at our familiar time and familiar segment. Finally, we can actually do a little news enough is piled up uh, to do that. And I think where I actually want to start is in just taking an overall snapshot of what it looks like for the NBA to return. Uh, Tim Bontemps and Brian Windhorst had a good piece uh, over the weekend uh, about what that's going to take, what some of the concerns are. How are you feeling uh, about the odds of a potential return to the point where we have a, a season? Because it seems like pretty much the drop dead date for starting next season is going to be Christmas. It seems like they're already talking about that Christmas to August for next season. And so if that's the case, how are you feeling about the chances of anything happening here for this season? I am significantly more optimistic about the chances of, of doing a playoffs and the reason, one of the basic reasons why is because it is a lot fewer people. If it's, it's a lot easier to pull off a bubble if it's 16 teams. And remember that in an elimination format, half of those 16 teams would be gone relatively quickly. And then you're down to eight and personnel and everything like that. And so I am not insanely confident, you know, far, far from it, especially considering, you know, there are other leagues that are coming back around now, but those countries handled their overall response much differently than we did. And so I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be some semblance of playoffs, maybe not the overall volume that you and I prefer to to, to determine a fair champion, but that there will be something. And then I'm and then I'm actually in some ways less optimistic about the full league season starting around Christmas just because that that brings a lot more logistics involved travel most notably among them that's interesting yeah and and, and whether there are going to be fans either it would be, oh i'm assuming there know, won't be yeah for the start of next season even, even if it goes to christmas huh yep that's my assumption yeah uh, i mean I, i'm not gonna say i'm gonna disagree with you too vehemently there um a few things that have stuck out to me i'm growing more pessimistic i mean number one just due to the overall situation in the country and the nba it has taken a stance that they don't want the negative PR of acquiring more tests than are readily available because they to really do this properly you have to be testing asymptomatic people you basically have to have a volume of testing as I've talked about on the COVID pod a volume of testing to essentially prove that everyone doesn't have the virus as opposed to oh we have some reason to think you have it let's check and see if you do yeah that's a great point and so until testing gets to that level in the U.S. then it doesn't seem like it's going to be possible possible for them to come back and we don't really seem to be well i also i also think path. maybe they'll soften on that stance especially if it's for a bubble playoffs maybe it's just hey we will bite that bullet for a very small period of time but people you're getting playoff basketball maybe they'll be happy enough with that well or maybe we reach a point at which 
everyone thinks there's enough testing, but there really isn't. Yeah, that's <laughs> possible so, too. So from a from a PR standpoint, they won't have to take the hit. I mean, and honestly, I think it's also a smaller yeah. hit. I mean, remember, yeah. like people were mad about that in the early days of this, which feel like a lifetime and a half ago. But now I think testing asymptomatic players, and and especially because you can buy, you know, you like you can buy the tests. Like basically, they they would they would need a bunch of tests and probably and and f- the pay the lab facility to do it. But when you consider the revenue that they could potentially generate from this, I think the NBA could can justify it, and the PR hit would be temporary. And then not everybody's happy about basketball, and some of the people would be mad at them taking the tests are the same people who wouldn't be happy that it's coming back. But generally speaking, yeah. I think that. It would it would be enough to be a net a significant net positive for them and then also the players and everything else if they're yeah. willing to play. And, and if they are going to generate revenue, I'm sure that there is a way to make an equivalent donation to coronavirus relief. Sure, that would more than make up for the fifteen thousand tests that they say that they're going to need. The, this idea of a bubble would indicate, and I think they're talking about for all thirty teams here, you would have about fifteen hundred people when you consider all the support staff and people who need to broadcast cast the games uh, etc so you're looking at essentially 50 people per team there'd be ways to cut that down and so you do the math on 15,000 tests and you know that's essentially testing each one of those people 10 times which you know I, I think that's right and it, i think it's telling that just in our overall society that the idea of testing the only way you can do this safely is testing people that's what the scientists have said is testing people 10 times over a three-month period and in many cases probably even a shorter period than that that that's actually the volume of testing that we probably need as a society to get back to any sort of of safety to where you can feel confident as you're going places that there isn't someone else who has the virus but in any event if they're, if they're going to have this stance that until testing is readily available for the whole country they're not going to do it i i fear we're going to be waiting quite some time if you're talking about having that level of testing for everyone before they can start uh, that's going to be months away and then you're talking too about another month after it's determined that that testing is available before you even could be starting so that's one concern to me um the other issue that is going to be very difficult is they've already come out and said players aren't interested in this i don't know if the league's interested or whatever that the bubble is going to be quite permeable there are going to be you're not going to have just nobody leaving from this thing players are going to be with their families their friends it doesn't sound like there's going to be any sort of policing of what players are doing when they're away from team activities and the NBA has no jurisdiction over those people. So anytime players are going to be allowed to see their families, which again, you know, if they if players don't want to do that, I, I completely understand that. But I'm talking about if you do want to play, that's probably what you're going to need, uh, especially if there isn't that much testing available. So there's no way for the NBA to police players, friends, and and families of where they're going to then potentially transmit to the players. So well, and and there might be yeah. a solution here if it's just the playoffs, which is what I think is more reasonable to say those first two weeks maybe that part of it is more restricted maybe then and then the bubble softens because then it just requires fewer tests if it's just yeah. eight teams and then you can add in other people you could add in family that that could be a a less linear way to, to look at it where the bubble doesn't stay the same level of permeability i think that's a, a distinct possibility that they should consider because telling the player and if and if the series are shortened it might not even be two weeks if it's a five game series that could be more like 10 days yeah so we 
talked about this before last month that there's this idea that baseball was going to try and start with a bubble concept in phoenix baseball stars have publicly pushed back on that and of course again the testing just is not available it seems like for them to do something like that so that kind of seems relatively dead in the water as well football is talking about doing a a full schedule that's far enough away that i think they can talk about doing that for now they're even talking about having fans i would be well they might do it <laughs> and maybe the, maybe the the governments of certain jurisdictions might agree with that but i certainly and i imagine most scientists will not agree that we're going to be in a position where it's safe to have seventy thousand people all screaming their their lungs out at a football game anytime soon either um german soccer they are tentatively scheduled to return middle of this month they even they tested over 1700 individuals from the 36 teams in the top two divisions of their league and obviously uh, we don't have the capability of doing that yet here and they did get on the order of about 10 people who tested positive and there are also some other quarantine going on there as well these teams have been back at their training grounds but they've been doing this weird socially distanced practice with five players doing drills but not having contact so that's going to be very interesting to watch there um and then the big question that comes here for the nba two is what is your protocol if someone tests positive that in some of the i haven't been having that many conversations because i've kind of been focused on the the covid pod but what do you do when somebody tests positive are you going to just and you know you've got about maybe three days or so four days it seems like the best research indicates before you're going to test positive we don't know the exact number on that yet maybe that science will solidify between now and when they try to start so what do you do if someone on a team or someone in a traveling party or someone associated with a player test positive do you just stop everything for three or four days and continually test those players and just make sure that they aren't positive uh what do you do if you're getting potential false negatives uh, as well you know i mean some of these tests have as high as you know 30 percent uh false negatives so you could be missing some that's why you part of why you need so many tests that's an interesting question and it really comes down to just what is going to be the risk tolerance for the nba and its players if your risk tolerance is going to be zero as i think it's fair some people to say that they just you know anytime someone tests positive we're just we can't risk anyone else getting the virus then it's hard to see how you're going to get there until you get to the point where you can be sure that every all these players and their contacts are just not going to encounter the virus in the world at large yeah it's 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 really thorny but i, I think i think you laid it you laid it out really well there yeah and so and that's fine you know basketball is not an essential activity it's essential to me making money but uh, to actually be uh more holistic about it from a societal standpoint it's not a, an essential activity and you know it's probably not worth potentially risking lives to try and play and so uh, i certainly understand it if that ends up being the viewpoint the nba has been loath to officially cancel any games because relations to the players and some of their contracts but I, I'm really, I sort of think about, oh, the, you know, they're making steps to go forward. But it, it all comes down to just that as a society, we haven't been doing a good enough job. And what the NBA is able to do is going to reflect that ultimately. Let's hit some, let's hit some other news. Um, Dyson Nix 
is another player joining Jalen Green and uh, I can't remember the third guy's name in the uh, the G League program. Nix yeah, is. I heard he's not that good. The the other guy, he's kind of he's like a Carlton Bragg, EJ Montgomery type. Is, okay. Is, uh, the, oh, Isaiah Todd is the guy. Isaiah Todd, yeah. Not um, necessarily a. I mean, he was number thirteen in ESPN, but uh, the I've only talked to one scout about him, but he this scout was not particularly impressed. But uh, what what him. makes he, he was more of a you know kind of less athletic power forward type. What makes Nix a little bit different is that he had not only committed but signed a letter of intent happens to be at my alma mater ucla uh and there had been an under that kind of been some public statements that the nba wasn't the g league wasn't going to go after guys like that but they're allowed to there's nothing there's no sort of bylaw against it and maybe he had expressed an interest and wasn't sure if it was going to be you know if it got strengthened all that type of stuff so it's anyway Knicks will be on the the g league barnstormers next year which is pretty exciting and we alluded to this before but balmer steve balmer completed the 400 million dollar purchase of the forum which seems to set the table for the clippers inglewood arena completion construction dates tbd and the lottery was formally postponed we don't have a date yet we're not going to know I, th- I think in a lot of ways the draft is going to be the last domino because they're going to need to decide if there's a season what that season timing is and th- before they figure out when the off season is going to occur yeah, the Nets and Rockets apparently uh, are going to also be in pursuit potentially of Tom Thibodeau. Jeff Van Gundy also discusses a potential candidate with the Rockets. Of course, well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but the Rockets already yeah. have a good coach. <laughs> yes, it seems uh, unlikely that Mike D'Antoni will be returning there. That uh, the fact that they couldn't work out the contract extension over after some very public talks. I mean, you know, if they make it to the finals or something, maybe then maybe that changes. But um, yeah, and D'Antoni is older, uh, of course. So that's uh, another reason why the Rockets may not want to give him a long-term deal. And he and his agent, Warren Legary, hate going into the last year of the contracts, hate being on short-term deals. So there may not be a deal to be made there. But I mean, Tibbs... I mean, it really seems more like the reason Tibbs is going to get another shot is because he just has credibility with players from what he did with the Bulls still. Yeah. And he's known as this grinder and this hard worker and his teams were tough to score against. And so that's kind of why he has some credibility. Yeah. You know where Um, his teams weren't tough to score against? His last place. Um, well, I also can't see Tom Thibodeau and Daryl Morey coexisting. Those do not seem particularly similar personalities or basketball philosophies. And and his, maybe maybe Tibbs will change things around a little bit, but his aggressiveness playing guys large minutes could be a problem. The Rockets, you know, you could Harden, we've seen him wear down over the course of seasons, but I would be more scared in Brooklyn because Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles injury and Kyrie Irving just has assorted maladies throughout the year and trying to push those guys harder will not be a good thing yeah and of course tibbs uh, also supposed to be a primary candidate in new york now who knows this i mean especially for these types of things a lot of these are just kind of agent favors to sure. float guys names out so the, the, this may not mean that much man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone 
is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us okay let's talk most improved player we always would get questions every month when we did the awards ceremonies uh the awards show and part of the reason that we don't do most improved players because it's really hard to know what's just shooting luck what is real improvement there are so many candidates and, well, and beyond that, yeah. it's really hard to research because you can't you can't put search parameters in something like Basketball Reference. To you know, there aren't as many ways to do that. There are certain things where you can, and also a big challenge. I like that you brought up the sample size issue. Is that the criteria is so nebulous? I went back and looked because um, I try to keep this in our end of the year awards pod of the the rubric, the criteria that that is the most recent public one that I could find. And here is the here is the listing that I have in in my notes. The award is designed to honor an up-and-coming player who has made a dramatic improvement from the previous season or seasons. 
Yeah, so up-and-coming player, that at least indicates that they are kind of a younger player. You know, you're not going to see 27, 28-year-olds necessarily. Sorry, Buddy um, Heald. <laughs> I didn't get a Buddy Heald old joke in on the Pacific Division one, so I'm doing it now. <laughs> so... I thought this is a list of a ton of players who really took major steps forward this year. Young players from the 2017-2018 draft. Generally, I am opposed to allowing second-year players into my analysis because it's just you're supposed to take this huge step forward as a second-year player. Um, but I certainly, I think, basically the way I want to do this, Danny, is just go through some of the players that we thought were really notably improved, you know, up-and-coming, younger type of players. So, uh, I think we could just go through, talk about some of these players' performances, how they got better, and then we can do uh, our top three at the end. Yeah, seems totally fair. Do you want to start right, with who, the nominee? Who, uh, yeah, go ahead. Who, who do you want to start with as a, a player who's really gotten a lot better to you? Somebody that has gotten that has gotten attention, and I would say deservedly so in at least certain respects, is Bam Adebayo. Adebayo, to me, has a little bit of the already good player in a larger role situation you know bam was behind hassan whiteside going into this year and he was playing 23 minutes a game this year he played 34 though he is not a stat compiler in in any way shape or form but what really was a revel there were two revelations for me one that his defense totally worked as a starter you know that there wasn't a translation issue or anything like that and then the other was his passing he became a much more integral part of the starting offense that that began even when Jimmy Butler was not taking the floor yet for the, for the heat and continued throughout really and so Bam's this is his assist percentage as basketball reference measures it from his three years 11 percent as a rookie 14.2 percent last year 23.6 percent this season and that's unusual for a center it is an important part of what the Heat did well and he was the most important defensive player on a team that wasn't amazing defensively and they were relying on shooting like early but there was material improvement on both ends of the floor yeah I think his defensive versatility was up there in their games where he was playing against guards he's guarding Russell Westbrook although other big ones that ended up doing that and then I think just watching the Heat especially for a young center like this a 22 year old center to have so much of the offense running through and to be making those decisions in the DHO game where the Heat love to swing the ball from side to side work through the elbows run guys off of screens out of the corners a lot of that Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero action it works really well in concert with Bam so yeah I, I thought he got a lot better uh, his scoring rate went way up uh, as well and he just was able to generate more shots uh, at the rim uh, than in previous seasons so I, I was really impressed with what he did and it, he's going to be a strong contender for me I mean I don't think anyone was thinking of him last season you know, I thought of him as you know maybe going to be one of the better starting centers in the league but I you know I think when we did our center rankings he was like six or seven to me and, and I thought he was a deserving all-star in the east I did not expect that from him nearly so soon if ever yeah i want to take a, a chance to acknowledge some vets who i thought were actually pretty bad players up until this year and really took steps forward and they wouldn't really fall in this because they're a little older and further on in their careers but i thought tim hardaway jr and dennis schroeder were both players who really actually became contributors to winning basketball this year in a way that they had not been before in their careers taking steps forward defensively uh, trying a little bit harder being in in winning organizations i think 
linked up obviously true was there last year too but uh this year he really was able to be much more effective and uh, play better with other ball dominant players and same thing with tim hardaway i thought he was really important to the mavs offense he was viewed as just a total albatross and might still be a little bit overpaid but certainly uh, he was actually like helping the mavs win basketball games which i don't think people really expected when he was traded there uh his shooting his volume his shot selection really improved i i thought uh volume in terms of like just his ability to create more good shots than he had been taking previously so those are two guys i want to recognize they won't figure in the top three but i think especially for guys to improve in those kinds of ways that late in their career deserves some recognition Absolutely. And for both of them to slot in in a more reasonable way on a on a talented team. I mean, the Thunder and the Mavericks both both did very well this year. And Hardaway, I think his improvement to me was was more was more important for a couple of reasons. One, he the Mavericks needed somebody like him, you know, that we were wondering how they were going to resolve the extra spot on the perimeter. They had brought in various players and then they were also kind of working on the four and the five, depending on how they were going to play Chris Porzingis and he just worked in that starting lineup competed more defensively was able to fill a role offensively without bogging things down had a role as a starter on the league's most efficient offense and I and with Schroeder I give him a little bit less credit he still deserves a lot of praise for because for his he competed more on defense because playing next to Chris Paul in particular but also Shea gave Schroeder the ability where this is a more analogous to the guy who gets more minutes like he was just put in exactly the right role for him but he did really well with it and that's the basketball equivalent of you have to play the team that's in front of you and I thought that he did a much better job playing the team in front of him this year than last year who else uh, do you want to talk about here Let's talk about Jalen Brown. We'll get to his teammate soon enough. Uh, Jalen Brown had uh, his most efficient season in terms of true shooting. Also, his largest usage and assist rate of his career. True shooting went up to 59%, usage up to about 25 and also the lowest uh, proportion of his shots being assisted in his career. And that's another element that you like to look for in an improved player is they're doing more themselves. And if they can do more themselves and create more for others and be ideally more efficient while doing it, it's it's a really notable thing. I thought that Brown has been an important part of Boston's defense really since his rookie year, paralleling again with Jason Tatum. And so I think Brown is a worthy nominee. I don't think he's going to make my final three, but I wanted to single him out for price. Yeah, I thought that he was playing at close to an all-star level. At the time that the teams were selected, I actually thought that he had a better case than Jason Tatum. Taysom Tatum then outstripped him with his performance over the next month and a half or so. But career highs uh, across the board for Brown usage, assists, rebounds, true shooting as you mentioned and I thought just watching him just so much more of a patient mature player able to make more passes he's not just some unbelievable passer but he started being able to make reads he slowed down he wasn't running headlong towards the rim that enabled him to finish uh, at the rim better he popped up to 71 percent at the rim where he kind of disappointed a little bit in that area in the past now he's not taking as many difficult shots at the basket and when his 
his path is blocked he's under control he's able to read the floor instead of being out of control and and contributed his usual defense uh, and his shooting bounced back as well even his free throw percentage got up to level 74 percent when he'd been in the 60s earlier in his career so really just it wasn't any one specific area that was just such a massive improvement but just across the board uh, at age 23 to reach a near all-star level uh, was uh, you know he, he he moved clearly to me beyond just a role player this season let's go to his teammate jason tatum tatum really was coming on before the hiatus and these numbers could look could have looked even better it is weird to have jason tatum as a serious contender for most improved player when this wasn't like the best true shooting year of his career but that's why this context matters so much more his assist percentage has steadily increased over the years his usage rate popped all the way up to a 28.6 this year which is huge so 56 percent true shooting on 29 usage is very different from 59 percent true shooting on 20 percent usage and that's really the difference between his first year and his third. And uh, another great way to calibrate that is that this year, Jason Tatum took 43%, only 43% of his twos were assisted and only 56% of his threes. That was the 56% was 85 last year and 92% his rookie year. So he's taking harder shots and making more of them and doing more creation for his teammates, sort of like Jalen Brown. Tatum's defense hasn't grown as much because he was already very good and Tatum more in the team concept than a stopper and that the the criticisms that we've had of him defensively over the years are still there, but he has gotten better even at the things that he does well. So the offensive growth of taking on a larger role and doing it well, and I think that's really important for him becoming a a true all-star and potentially an all-nba caliber player yeah the three-point shooting that he was doing off the dribble with some of those step backs in the last month or so ridiculous and if he'd been able to continue at that kind of a pace he might have really figured it in most improved for me but he's i don't think he's quite gonna be in there for my top three another player again lower level this time i can breeze through a couple of these chris middleton i thought was a very lower end all-star last year wouldn't have made it in the west kind of a questionable selection but hey the bucks are winning all these games so you got to pick the number two guy on their team type of selection last year this year he was an extremely deserving all-star most of that built on just massive improvements in shooting accuracy i mean his ability from the mid-range he's just been an absolute assassin shooting well over 50 percent from both short mid-range and longer mid-range beyond 16 feet uh, and I don't know if that necessarily would have continued. I mean, most, if you look at his statistical improvement, that's what was driving it a lot. But I mean, 62% true shooting this season, it was just absolutely insane. 42% from downtown. And he just got a lot better as a shooter and scorer this season. And then another one I'd look at again, a little older, Malcolm Brogdon. Mm -hmm. Just uh, if he'd been healthy, maybe could have figured in the top three, but his passing in particular was something that I didn't believe that he had in his game. He was more of a head down straight line driver not really a point guard he was just shoehorned in there as a rookie but no he proved that he actually was able to distribute at the level of a true point guard and you know emerged into maybe even if not a top 15 certainly a top 20 player at the point guard position i'll breeze through a couple now too uh last year's winner pascal siakam had some really bright moments during this year had to take on a much larger role with the departures of Kawhi leonard and danny green and did a very good job overall with that usage went from 21 percent to 28 5 
efficiency did drop, but you would expect that with that increased assist rate, decreased turnover rate. His defense to me has taken a little bit of a step back, not a surprise when you take on that role. But overall for me, the improvement wasn't as extreme or as important for me. So he deserves praise, but doesn't get a top three slot in my opinion. Christian Wood, a... Well, let me me expand on him. To me, he moved up to being a very deserving all-star, well worthy of a max contract, best player on on a team that yeah has some depth but is also going to win like high 50s if the season goes on as scheduled and I, th- I think you're being too dismissive of him I don't know whether you just aren't that impressed with what he's done but it, to me the step that he's taken from being a support guy who kind of attacked mismatches to their number one option offensively yeah he's uh, struggled a little bit later on in the season and maybe wore it down but especially just looking at the skill level improvement of like being able to shoot off the dribble now which i mean you remember last playoffs he's being guarded by joel Embiid, who's just standing under the basket and daring him to shoot and now he's actually like getting the ball in his hands attacking in isolation shooting jumpers from there shooting jumpers off the dribble from three and his percentage is still very solid so his skill development to me i, I kind of my i don't look at it as much from a statistical place as maybe a lot of people would for this because to me i'm just i want to see yeah big numbers improvement but also like how has your skill level improved how are you getting those numbers what new tricks do you have in the bag and i think he has a ton and yeah he did make it last year but remember where i i think it's easy to forget how much further he still had to go yeah after last year oh yeah i i think that he's he got serious consideration but part of it for me was that he was an important part of the toronto offense and their offense was good but it wasn't i would say very good or great so they had a 114 cleaning the glass offensive rating when he was on the floor that's about 80th percentile that's very good and you know for him to be a linchpin of that team is is impressive but you know I mean part of it is is just that there was the bigger efficiency drop and also for me the defensive element that he it's justifiable as I said but I think he was worse to me like meaningfully worse on defense this year not in a skill development way but just he had less juice for it and the Raptors had you know they didn't have better personnel but they had plenty of personnel to make it work so I like to see ideally like to see a little bit more more balanced growth or at least growth and neutral and so it's a worthy case like i seriously considered having him third but i didn't i didn't end up putting him third Uh, can i jump to christian wood yes yeah yeah christian wood to me i I guess actually i forgot to add in one of my criteria as well yeah he certainly deserves discussion but to be in the top three for me um i want to have the player as a result of improvement have reached a level of relevance that i think is just above and i'm not saying you're gonna have christian wood in the top three i'm not but i want the player to have reached a level of relevance that's above where christian wood is as a guy who started half the season and you know he might get a 10 million dollar a year contract or something in the offseason season and might be you know a team might bring him in as a starter but i'd like at least for the player to be you know i think of like a guy who got to where cj mccollum did the year that he won it as kind of a baseline for how good i want the player to be after this improvement yeah because you you, really, you and i both yeah. scale it on both improvement and the importance of that improvement so yeah get it get getting to be so for example like kendrick nunn who did who was you know went from basically being a g-league player though he was technically in the nba system to be 
being a, a stalwart for the Heat, or Devontae Graham, who went from a really small role on the Hornets to being their best offensive player and really the, the like, but not, but still not like an above average starter or anything like that. Like both of them had really good years, like Christian Wood did, but I don't think gets there. And then with Christian Wood, he has the additional wrinkle, which isn't true for me for Devontae Graham, who I would say of those two would have a stronger case, which is that Christian Wood a portion of why he was why he was more productive is just that he played a lot more. I mean, Wood logged sure. just 251 minutes in the NBA during the 18-19 season, and that went up to 1325 in an incomplete season for the Detroit Pistons. He ended up, you know, being a starter for them at the end after they traded Andre Drummond, and and did have his most efficient year to be sure. 23% usage, 66% true shooting, three point shot has gone up to 38% on 5.2 per 100 possessions, but it's not like that shot was brand new. He shot 35% from three in those limited minutes last year on the Bucks and Pels. So I... And, and Wood has improved defensively, but it's not like he went from being bad to very good or anything like that. He just improved. So definitely a, an important story. I mean, somebody who's r- risen a lot, and let's all call it the position rankings that we did. But as you said, I agree with you that you have to reach a certain level in that sort of thing for it to for the improvement to matter as much. So even you could say like on a, if you were ranking players from one to 100, Christian Wood's number there might actually have grown by more than anybody that we're, that we're talking about in these up and coming players and he is only 24 but that i i st- I, I don't think it got quite there also guys are ineligible for me as second year guys but i think really need to be talked about still is just the 2018 draft class i mean man did those guys take crazy steps forward even someone like deandre eight who you know missed a bunch of time but when he played was much improved defensively in a way that i didn't necessarily see coming I and mean, trey young it's lost just like what a ridiculous improvement he had brad, brad roland and i discussed that quite a bit a few days ago Shea Gilgis Alexander Jaron Jackson Jr. Devontae Graham and of course Luca who made the jump to an MVP candidate from a sub all-star level last year like just that 2018 draft the improvement that all of those guys have made all the main guys who looked pretty good last year like none of them had a, a sophomore slump um who else do you have here as candidates Devin Booker I would say he suffered the misfortune of it he had he's had so much growth over the last two years that it was a little bit too evenly distributed for him to be most improved in either one of those seasons this year he didn't have the same growth in usage or assists but he did become a much more efficient player getting to the free throw line a lot more and I thought he was a more a more reliable initiator for the Suns helped by having better surrounding talent, and I would say he's gotten better defensively. He's still not, not good, or even even to average at this point. And there were, but there were times when he showed more effort. And for the best player on a team, that is important. So I didn't. Booker has the leaps and bounds that he's grown since this, since his second year, since his third year are are important. But I don't I don't think that the growth from his fourth year to his fifth year, which is what this is, merits being in the top three. Yeah, I thought he was a deserving all-star selection this year, even if it took too long to get there. And I thought the biggest area of growth for me was in his off-ball game, whether it's these quick attacks from the wing in transition off of hit-ahead passes, just quick cuts out of the corner that were devastating, playing off of screens. He, he played much more within the flow of the offense. And you know, part of that was because he had Ricky Rubio to set him up a little bit more. But I thought that for him to not just be, all right, I'm going to dribble six times and then run a pick and roll as the offense and to get more efficient and be a better 
better player uh, i thought was was impressive so he definitely figured for me wasn't in my top three um couple other people to mention again not a, a contender for the top but considering that markel fultz couldn't even shoot a basketball last year for him to actually be a starter for the magic who wasn't killing them was a, a big step forward for him it was good to see him back yeah on the floor. it's it's analogous to the Devonte graham thing but worth talking about him to be sure uh and then lonzo ball learned yes. how to shoot this year that was huge it was yeah lonzo becoming you know becoming an overall offensive player that he that he hadn't been in previous years is is really important he his jump shot also got more versatile it's still not super versatile but i'll give you the i'll give you the numbers on that so lonzo went from 33 percent on seven and a half threes per hundred possessions to 38 percent on 9.2 that is a, a very important growth and then if you also consider that Oh, I was going to say that a lower proportion were assisted, but that's actually not true. He went from 76% to 82%. On, and that, I think that some of that is by virtue of the not only the Pelicans offense, but that he played with LeBron James last year. Yeah, he also showed a little bit more ability in pick and roll, a little bit more ability in the mid-range. I didn't think that he was quite as impactful defensively as I'd hoped for him to be this year. But just, to, I mean, you could see he just totally reworked his form with the help of, of Fred Vincent, and it was huge. Two more people I want to discuss. One of them is TJ Warren, who was a defensive sieve in the factory of defensive sieves that has been uh, the Phoenix Suns player development program uh, up to this year. And he got traded salary dumped with a second round pick and some cash to the Pacers. And he became one of the more solid not a superstar at this level, but a solid defender on the wing. He consolidated his gains as a three-point shooter as well, and he made himself into a very capable two-way forward. A two-way forward on a clear playoff team that is also a big job. But yeah, I'm happy you brought up TJ Warren as a as a as a con- someone in consideration here. And and 26 year olds, you know, whether we're counting them as up and coming, gets a little bit a little bit dicey. But I'm happy you brought him up. And then the biggest name that you and I haven't yet discussed is Brandon. Ingram. Ingram traded from the Lakers to the Pelicans, had the skyrocketing usage, 23% to 28%. Also big growth in assists, 13% to 20% as as just especially before Zion got there, just such an important part of the Pelicans offense. And then that only that's only part of it because the, the growth that he had as a shooter and as an overall efficient offense player. So he had that growth as a in terms of usage, usually taking harder shots means that you're going to make less of them. That was absolutely not the case for Ingram. He is uh, went from 55.5 true shooting to 59 and a lot of that growth came from the three-point line where he went from 2.5 threes per 100 possessions to 8.5 which is a jaw-dropping increase for somebody who was already playing a lot of minutes who already had a, a pretty sizable role within his team's offense and doing a lot more of that on ball than than he was you know they had just having the ball in his hands more to to do that kind of growth was really impressive and I wouldn't say that he got significantly better on the defensive end but that is a jaw-dropping transformation as an as an offensive force yeah absolutely and it's most important too because now he can actually i mean he did so much more on ball this year as a scorer but now he can actually play next to other players and he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time he's capable of doing that but his versatility to fit in offensively used to part of the reason why i used to be so down on him was well is this guy just so dominating with the ball that you're going to give it to him all the time and if not then where the hell does he play because 
he's off the ball he's not taking enough threes and you thought his free throw shooting wasn't that great either so he didn't have much chance uh, of improving and again Fred Vinson uh, worked the magic with him and he has been outstanding I didn't quite have him on my all-star team but he certainly got to a level where he's relevant enough uh, to be in the mix for this award and in fact I had him as my number one most improved player this season. I have him as my number two for the sole reason that I've been asked a lot be, like because you and I have had the kind of the blanket ban on second year players winning most improved and somebody some one of the questions I get asked sometimes is well what would it take for a second year player to, to get consideration <laughs> And I would honestly say I, I don't know an ans- I don't know the answer, but I'm never going to say that it's impossible. And Luka Doncic did that for me. The answer is getting to be an MVP caliber player in your second year, moving from you know a useful, a positive offensive player. <laughs> he was last year's Dallas team was they took a ton of strides, but I mean he was he was a damn good player, deserving Rookie of the Year last year. But to make that to become what he was to what what he has been this year is a, it is such an important improvement and 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 as great as he was last year it is such a such a, sig- a large one in terms of the magnitude of the improvement but also in terms of the significance that I had to consider him and once I considered him to me the jump that Luca made is bigger than the jump that Brandon Ingram made and so it felt to me like when you're telling the story of the season the most important improvement came from Luca so I'm giving him my vote for the award that's totally fair and i mean for him to be he reached a level this year that maybe you could have said all right when he's in his prime at age 27 he could be this kind of player i mean it's really just absolutely insane he has an argument i still don't think he is but an argument as the best regular season offensive player in basketball leading the greatest offense in nba history you talked about it a lot already and i'm gonna stick with my rule that i don't consider second year players but i I mean, yeah, he, he, your argument was very compelling. I, I will say that. I feel kind of bad about it. So uh, I have Brandon Ingram number one. Pascal Siakam is actually going to be my okay. number two again. I know he, he won it last year, uh, and I think he was my pick as well last year. I was thinking, I was but, trying to remember if you had Giannis number one last year. Um, ooh, yeah, because Giannis took a huge step forward last year too. Let me actually check and see who I had last year. While you're looking it up, my top three was Siakam one, Vooch two, Giannis three. This, yeah, this is from last year. My full regular season awards. Yeah, I did have, uh, I had Siakam one, Vooch two, Giannis three. Okay. Last year. So yeah, he, he's number two for me. I think he just, he's taken another massive uh, step forward. And then uh, Adebayo was uh, my third for uh, 2020. I ended up going, yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a group of three guys for my last spot of Bam, Pascal Siakam, and Jason Tatum. And I ended up going with Tatum because it's weird. It might be that he actually benefited to an extent from the season, from the hiatus, because I couldn't necessarily say that everything, all of the gains that he made were going to continue, that it was all going to be true, sort of like what we've said at times about Brandon Ingram, that we're a little bit skeptical. But watching him that last couple weeks, you know, the, the, the beginning of March, he looked like so much more devastating of an offensive player. The step back threes, like, he he was during that stretch I just went holy shit like this is this this is the type of guy that like Boston fans have been telling me he was all this time when he wasn't and Bam did a great job like Bam Bam ended up like I mean you could those three guys were all together I could have put anybody else there they're all deserving of of praise and if I didn't have Luca number one two of those guys wouldn't have made my list but Tatum being taking on that larger role while still being a strong defender it just put me over Bam because the degree of difficulty of being an 
on-ball creator, especially on the wing position, is it, it's a different it's a different part. And I respect what Bam does, but to me, what Tatum was, was putting together was harder. Yeah, and I think had Tatum continued what he was doing the last month and a half till the end of the season, I would have been right there with you. But I was just a little bit too worried that it was based on shooting luck. I wasn't willing to discount the earlier part of the season when he wasn't necessarily playing like that. So uh, that was part of the analysis uh, for me too, especially when you're looking at the entire season. And so he certainly figured very strongly, but that's why I went with that bio instead. All right, anything to talk about here before we go? Yeah, a couple of things. I had a new piece come out for the athletic about the perils of having a short-term GM on a rebuilding team. And I happened to use Scott Perry as a muse, not that he was running the other front offices, but his time in Orlando, Sacramento, and with the Knicks preceding Mills getting fired. As example, he just happened to be in the room for three recent times when teams that weren't close went a little too short-term. And so I talked about why that happens when contracts and priorities sync up and, and all that. So it was, I enjoyed that as a piece, but also had Mike Prada on Real GM Radio. We talked about the title list series that SB Nation ran in terms of the best teams to never win a championship and then his new mail uh, his new uh newsletter um endeavor where he had a really cool piece about Scotty Pippen that we talked about and then we talked about his his next upcoming one and then I will have more material coming out in the very near future all right thanks so much for listening we'll be back tomorrow night to close out the week talk to y'all then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.